Zach and Vince are here too. Of course they are. Why wouldn't they be? We're the DC3. Uh, this is a podcast about last week's Rebirth books, specifically the books released on March 22nd, 2017. So if you're a DC Comics fan, you picked up your comics, but you haven't read them yet, pause the podcast, read the comics. We're going to spoil them more or less. Uh, we're going to start off this week with the conclusion of Superman Reborn. This is what everyone's talking about. We want to get our opinions out there because our opinions matter, damn it. Uh, Action Comics number 976, written by Dan Jurgens, illustrated by Doug Monkey. The end of Superman Reborn. There's a lot to dig into here. Do we want to start with sort of the, the big implications or talk about what happened in the issue and then get into the big implications? You know, we don't mess around on this show. I've no, I mean, we just jump right into the books. Nothing about our personal lives. You know, I say we just go for it and we talk about the big picture before we dial in on the details. Okay, so... Let me see if I'm explaining this in a way that is fair. So at the end of this issue, it appears that the new 52 Superman and Lois and the pre-Flashpoint Superman and Lois merge into, like, I'm not using the word prime, meaning like Superboy prime, but I mean like the purest version of Superman and Lois, and they now contain in them, in a linear fashion somehow all that has happened to any Superman or Lois from at least the main Earth. Does that sound like a fair explanation? Yeah, yeah. I mean, quite literally, quite literally, the uh, narration, like, t- lays that all out for you, you know? I, I mean, it says right here, um, it's almost like, <laughs> it's almost like there's an ad for the new status quo going forward in the final pages of this issue. Cause mm-hmm. it says a new existence wide single reality rebuilt from two, a timeline in history, both familiar and new with lives realigned. So it all fits. So it's, it's, it's literally selling you on the idea that, you know, everything is included, which yeah. We joked last week is kind of what we thought was going to happen with convergence. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what we thought was going to happen with convergence. Um, yeah, and and as far as the, actually what happened to New Fifty Two Superman and um, and the uh, pre Flashpoint Superman, we I listened to last week's show today, and we had it right. We just had it flipped. Because we, because because Superman showed up wearing the collar and everything, we were worried that New Fifty Two Superman would be absorbing the pre-Flashpoint version and not the other way around. Which, to me, is like in retrospect, it was silly that we were going down that path <laughs> when right, when really right. the more logical thing with having John around was to have the New Fifty Two Superman absorbed. But I think we were just thrown off by the costume. Our hearts were in the right place, is what I'm saying. Yes. Agreed. Um, so did did you guys read the interview with Dan Jurgens and Peter Tomasi on Com- um, Comics Alliance? No, I didn't see that. Vince, no. did you see that? No. All right. So uh, they did an interview on, I guess it was Tuesday or Wednesday with Comics Alliance. And the interview, there, there was nothing sort of um, earth shattering about it. But there, there were two bits that I found interesting, and they're very much connected. 
So they kind of hinted at this in the issue of Action Comics, but it was explicitly said that anyone associated with Lois and Clark now share this knowledge with them. So when Lois shows up at the Daily Planet, and they said both Lois and Clark are back working at the Daily Planet. When they show up, not only do these people know John, they've known John since he was born. So Perry White, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Steele, any super character is has been sort of like through, I guess, osmosis or like being in the blast radius or however you want to say it. They all have the same knowledge now that Lois and Clark have. So I found that to be interesting. And then the Comics Alliance interviewer said, well, what does that mean for, like, the Justice League, for instance, right? They're on the team with Superman, so do they get touched by this too? And Jurgens and Tomasi were like, well, we can't really play our hand there, but you'll see how that works out over the next few months. Uh-huh. So we're in this position where a part, like, in Metropolis, people remember things that in Gotham they don't. Yeah. Oh, so it's like only it's like confined to an area. It's not no. Like, I just I just mean like oh, but like you know, people the, in the, the Daily the, Planet building know what's going on. People in the Wayne Tech building don't. Yeah, it's almost a, you know how the New Fifty Two was divided up into these are the Superman family books, these are the Batman, these are the Edge books. Yeah, yeah. it's almost like anything in the Superman family books, essentially, any character you normally associate with Superman is affected by this. Yeah. Do you and, know what and this reminds me of? What? Play it on a sack. You're the MVP. One more day. Only mm. in reverse. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Nice pull. Yeah. I think the difference here is that it's all going to become like this is Superman's family is the first domino that's gonna fall. But mm-hmm. I have no doubt that everyone in the DC universe is going to by the end of the two year rebirth story, everyone's going to have this moment. Oh, and that's what we wanted, right? I mean... It is. It, it, and there, there, there's a conversation to be had about whether or not these past, whether or not the two years to get it done is is way too much time. <laughs> Well, here's my feeling. Well, Zach, why don't what do you think about all this? We we haven't heard much from you yet about this issue in or about, about reborn the, the, or the scope of what what we're dealing with here, rather than the specifics I mean, of the issue. It's it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, okay, so. This whole time, pretty much like our biggest complaint about the Superman line in Rebirth has been just this like weird song and dance around the pre-New 52 stuff, you know? Sorry, not pre-New 52. I do that all the time. The New 52 stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, New 52 Lois. All of this like weird stuff still just kind of like hanging around when we just wanted to be about superman and lois you know essentially um and so we are finally rid of that and we do kind of have like the best of all options you know where it's just like one one timeline or whatever 
it all just feels like needlessly convoluted. Like it took 20 issues of two series to get to this. <laughs> but now that we're here, I mean, I'm very, I, I'm, this is a good place to be. I'm just kind of, I guess frustrated is not the right word. Um, I just kind of, you know, like roll my eyes at, at, <laughs> at it and then just move on, I guess. So like, I'm really, I'm like, as far as a status quo shift, it's great. Um, do I think that, reborn uh, do i think reborn was a success because of it no not really i think that um this crossover was just a little bit underwhelming but i'm really excited to see what happens next so yeah. vince tell us what you think and then i i want to sort of take a step back and go even more uh big picture but i want to hear your sure. thoughts first yeah so so Again, last week, I last week I said, you know, I kind of lamented the fact that we had this crossover because we had so many good issues of Superman that came before, right? That were that you know didn't need all of this convolution, and um, I would caution anybody that thinks that that rebirth is just a two-year vehicle for getting all these characters into a new status quo because. Certainly that will be the case, but then let's not forget that we did have, you know, 18 great issues of Superman that came before or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, so they, they can tell great stories within this framework and it's working, you know, and if it took them two years to get to the point of their overarching narrative, fine. There were still a lot of great stories told underneath, right? Yeah. So, so that's how I feel about that. As far as this crossover and ramifications are concerned... I've kind of face turned on it a little bit. I still think the execution was was kind of shitty. Like it's clunky for sure. Very clunky. But I have to say I I can't help but say that where it's leaving us is exactly what I've wanted since the dang convergence. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean this is this is what I've wanted. Uh <laughs> And that we're getting it seems incredible to me right now. I mean, the only thing that wasn't promised by this issue is a dang pair of red underwear, you know, like that's yeah. literally the only thing, like how great would it have been if at the end when he says, I'm back, we're back and the red trunks are back, <laughs> my, my undies are back, you know, but like, I, I, I have to hand – we've been calling him Dan Jurgens tonight, I've noticed. You know, normally we've been <laughs> switching it to Jan Durgens, <laughs> just to troll. But uh, but I think, you know, I, I have to admit that where he and Tomasi and the Superman team and the editorial and where they're all leaving Superman is exactly where I wanted them to leave Superman. And I guess – you know, I didn't have to like the execution these last few issues um, to be happy about where we are right now. So, so that's where I stand. I mean, if this if this sweeps across the entire DCU and that's what it is going forward, and Superman's got a family again, and uh, and we can get our JSA back the way that they were, you know, um, like you said last week, Brian. I think you brought that up. That that's what I want. And, and this gives me optimism, you know, 
uh, if, if nothing else, it gives me hope about things going forward. But you said you wanted to go even bigger picture, so let's get there. Okay, so first I just wanted to mention one more thing from that Comics Alliance interview that I forgot to mention, which is that Jurgens says in that interview, and, and I really recommend everybody checking it out just because I'm not going to do his explanation justice, but he said that when he was writing the Lois and Clark book, he was like, oh, shit. Superman's identity was just revealed to the world because that was right when that when there was the truth and justice arc going on when like when the whole world found out that Clark Kent was Superman because Lois leaked it remember that that storyline yeah yeah and he was like so if this man showed up they would know he was Clark Kent so we need to have another Clark Kent to like fight against that so the idea for the Clark Kent story and the idea of it being Mitzelpitalik was all done pre-rebirth like that was something that was that was decided when the book first when Lois, when superman lois and clark first started and i found that really interesting mm. uh, i'm not saying it's good or bad it's just, it's just interesting but okay so i was talking with my my good friend walter richardson former guest on this show about <laughs> all this stuff and we were talking about marvel and how i don't know if you guys saw this but marvel canceled fool killer this week but they canceled it in the issue. Like, it was not solicited as final issue, but the issue ended with the end. Uh. And that's it. There's no more Fool Killer. Um, they hadn't solicited it as a final issue or whatever. But I was talking about just sort of how I don't understand what Marvel's doing right now. Because if you think about it, if a kid goes to a Marvel movie... They're probably having a good experience. I, I'm my kid. I don't necessarily mean like a five year old, but like if a teenager goes to see a Cap Civil War, they're gonna come out of that like, "Fuck, that was awesome! I want to go read a Captain America comic." And right now, there is no Captain America comic that's going to reflect what they see on screen because the cap because Cap's a Nazi, right? Uh, ditto. Like you know, Thor looks very different. Iron Man looks different. Hulk looks different. All these characters are not presented in their traditional form. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Uh, this is not about characters changing or that. It's just, it seems odd to me that there is this um, sort of very forward-thinking storytelling going on at Marvel when they really would benefit from having more straightforward stories right now. And the converse of that is true with DC. Like, DC movies, nobody likes. And yet... <laughs> If you walk into a comic store, every DC comic looks exactly like my mom thinks it should look. Like, yeah. you know, Superman looks like Superman. Batman looks like Batman. And DC is doing this very conservative thing with their books where, like, they're really doubling down on these are the characters we have, these are the characters that we love, and these are the ways that you remember them. And I think that's a really... I think it's really... I don't want to say weird because that's not, that's the right word, but I think that Marvel is acting like DC should be acting, and DC is acting like Marvel should be acting in a certain way. If you look at like the idea of bringing in new readers, I don't think that presenting Superman the way he's seen in Batman versus Superman is the way to get a new person to pick up a Superman comic uh -huh. necessarily. And I think that Reborn is doubling down on that idea and saying, like, not only do we have to present a Superman that looks and sounds like the Superman that you know and love, we have to make him back into that Superman that you know and love. And I just yeah. find that a fascinating 
look at how the two companies are doing things so differently right now? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I have to admit, I'm, I've tried and I am lost on Marvel right now. Um, and it, and it's not because I have anything against changing characters. Um, and I, I'm, I'm all for diversity. Like I love when, I love when, uh, diverse, different, younger characters take up the mantles of these heroes. But Marvel feels like, and this could just be someone who's an outsider now, you know, because I'm I'm out of Marvel right, for a couple right. of years. It feels like that's just happened everywhere across the board in too fast and too wholesale of a fashion for me to have had time to get invested into any of it, you know? I mean, do you think that Marvel in 2017 looks kind of like DC in 1996? Where, like, you have Electric Blue Superman and you have Kyle Rayner and Wally West and Connor Hawk running around. I, I don't know. That's pretty white still. Like, that's... <laughs> what I mean... No, I'm, I'm... <laughs> You're absolutely right. But, but what I mean is, like, is are we going to look back at 2017 but oh, that's the year that Marvel pulled all of their legacy characters up to the forefront and then we'll yank them right back. I mean... No, I don't think so because I don't think anybody's going to remember Marvel Comics in 2017. But wow. <laughs> hot take from the guy who reads more Marvel than the other two of us combined. Well, so no, not not anymore really. So like, you know, for a while, I think especially like during like around the DC YOU era, like around Convergence time, and I was reading a lot of Marvel and I was really into really into Marvel and like so, like, when I flip through Marvel solicits right now, I see a lot of things that sound really interesting to me um, and sound like things I would like to read. But then, like, once I actually have the product in my hand or I'm, like, faced with actually, like, purchasing it, I don't feel compelled to, really. Um, and I don't really know what it is with Marvel right now because, on paper, they're doing a lot of the things that we would have killed for DC to be doing during the new 52 era. Right. Uh Uh You know, but it's just something about the execution. And I think, you know, you, something, you know, you touched on it with like the full killer, a full killer is like two, two things. One, it's a book that no one asked for and no one wants. Right. (laughs) And B, it's a book that was billed as an ongoing was stealth canceled. And, you know, we'll, we'll probably get, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it was relaunched with a new number one and, two months honestly like so i mean marvel like has a big problem with i think um kind of like trust with their readership some of that has to do with you know pulling things like that like constantly um canceling and and relaunching books the other thing has to do i think with you know sadly kind of like you know like vince alluded to the diversity and kind of shelving um more traditional versions of characters although it does seem like they're you know i don't know if you've seen any of the like alex ross apparently there's like an event coming that kind yeah, of generations i believe ge- yeah called. Gen- right right and that's really cool if that ends up being like what i th- would expect it to be like a real celebration of legacy which is traditionally dc's thing um yeah. i think like there it, it does seem like marvel is trying to do dc and just doing a really bad job of it 
Yeah. While while DC is, I wouldn't say that they're doing a Marvel right now with Rebirth. Really, I think they're kind of like getting back to DC is getting back to its own roots as well, um, and showing why it it's better at that. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Here here's my thing. It's two things for me with Marvel. One, it's like I would I I would love to read a Riri Riri Williams Iron Man book. Like I think that's a great idea. You know, mm-hmm. take shelving Tony Stark for a bit, putting her in the iron. Like I want to read that book. I don't want to read that book written by <laughs> Brian Michael Bendis. And not to knock Bendis solely, it's talent across the board. I feel for for my tastes. Marvel has a couple writers that I like still, but DC has like a two big handfuls of writers that Which I like. Is so weird because like two years ago it was the exact opposite. It was the exact opposite. It, it, it was yeah. Lobdell on everything. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yep. it's crazy. But yeah. I think yep. I think on top of that, Vince, another reason I I'm not buying the Riri Williams Iron Man book is I don't believe that it's gonna be a thing in six months or a year. Oh, I don't, I don't care if it is or not. That's, well, no, that, no, that here's be... here's why I care though. I think there's a difference. I'm not saying that there can't. I don't care that the title of the book will be the same and the characters will be different. I just feel like Marvel introduces these characters and then instantly marginalizes them. Yeah. And if I want, like you know. Say what you will about those 90s DC books, but, like, there was a solid five or six years there where Kyle Rayner was the Green Lantern, Mm -hmm. where Connor Hawk was the Green Arrow. There was 20 years with Barry Allen being dead. Like, these changes stuck around for a bit. And I feel like, you know, just think about how many times Captain America has not been Steve Rogers in the last decade. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I guess that that folds into the second thing I was going to say, which is um, it's just that all the changes feel like they're constantly happening, and and I can't keep up. I can't get invested. So you're right. You know, I guess I guess you're right. Um, yeah, Kamala Khan is like the one that's stuck for me. Um. I, I and I guess, guess like I, also I like guess, Miles Morales. I was too. just gonna say I guess Miles, but again that's Bendis, and I can't. I'm sorry, but I don't read Bendis anymore. I just can't. I can't yeah. do it. Well, that's um, the thing. Like so many of so much of Marvel is him these days, mm-hmm. which is really weird to be saying in the year 2017. Yeah, yeah. And so because of that, to me, like so many of these developments, like R- like Riri Williams, and like so so many other like things, feel really manufactured in a in like a not like organic evolution of a story kind of way, but like here's a thing spinning out of a crossover that is, has no soul. And, and, you know, well, that was what Walt and I had talked about too, for a bit was that, you know, DC has been doing these little micro events since rebirth started, you know, Superman reborn. What was the other one that was, um, um, there was a Batman one. Yeah. Yeah. None of the monster men. Yeah. Yeah. And these sort of like, you know, contain little events. But how the last DC, like, company-wide crossover, was it Forever Evil? Yeah. And, like, yeah. Forever Evil. Unless you count, well, like, Justice, unless League. You, 
Suicide Squad. No, but I guess that's not really like comfortable. No, that it, was a, it was an, it was a mini. Yeah, it, and so, but if you think about Forever Evil, like that in my mind is a slight event, right? Not all that much happened. But think about what really did happen there, okay? Jessica Cruz got introduced to the main DC universe and is now the star of her own book. Lex Luthor became a hero at the end of it and joined the Justice League, which we are still seeing ramifications from. Dick Grayson, quote, died and led to the Grayson series, which which was a huge mover and shaker in the DC universe, brought in characters like Raptor and Midnighter and all this, and... You know, he's back to being Nightwing now, but there was a solid two years where his entire character arc was defined by Forever Evil. It brought in the daughter of Darkseid, which became a big deal in the, uh, what was the Justice League event? The Darkseid War? Mm -hmm. Like, all these things spun out of this minor event, but it was the only DC event for years. How many events is Marvel going to have in 2017? I mean, probably at least, like, three. So we had, well... Two or three. I mean, they always have uh, like a an early year event, and then like a summer, summer event, event that yeah. gets delayed into the next year. It is true. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I don't, man. I don't. The thing with Marvel too, and I don't want to like harp on Marvel forever, but it's so weird how they can simultaneously be like so um, legacy centric and like introducing new iterations of heroes, and then feel just very beholden to their multimedia things like do you do you know what i mean like yeah but what's weird because like because like inhumans is such a big thing because it's gonna be a thing it's a thing in like the tv shows and in the films and like you know you definitely still see that presence is so heavy and i think that plays a lot into the fatigue as well but don't you feel that that's all misguided like again yeah, I, 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 I after i spoke to walt i went over to my resident marvel fan of my life matt malikoff uh publisher of multiversity comics again former guest on the show i think he was on the show once regardless um and he was saying like well you know hawkeye now looks like the hawkeye from the movies i was like but who went to go see the avengers and wanted a hawkeye comic like, that's no offense to Hawkeye, but, like, Hawkeye's not really a part of that movie that much. You know, he's like, Matt was like, well, you know, Scarlet Witch is now more like she was in Age of Ultron. Like, but who saw Age of Ultron? Was like, I need a Scarlet Witch comic. Like, I, I you know, he said, you know, Thanos is an ongoing. It's like, but who cares about Thanos? Like, he appeared in an after credit scene. Like, I just feel like so many of their multimedia decisions are built around the wrong parts of their multimedia. If they had any sense after Captain America Civil War, there would have been an amazing Cap and Bucky series. Yeah. But there wasn't. There was there was nothing like that. You know, there's just I feel like Marvel's just they have the wrong part of their multi and you're right, Zach. Like Inhumans are getting this huge push, and that show could flop and no one's gonna care. But there hasn't been a consistent Agents of Shield comic. A show entering its fifth season. Oh my god, that's crazy. Well, and also like, let's, I mean, the big and you know, multiversity staffer Ken Godberson will speak to this ad nauseum, I'm sure. But like, X Men has really taken a hit because of the Inhumans, and like, who really wants? Who's really clamoring for like a a line of Inhuman books? Ken is, but you know. Well, yeah, but I mean, I feel like he would also probably take umbrage with 
the the way that the X-Men have been marginalized in terms of like the types of um I, I, the types I of talent that get assigned to those books these days and you know what's crazy is that like you know last year uh Cena Grace was announced as the writer of an Iceman ongoing which yeah, still hasn't yeah. been solicited No That's I think right. it just was oh, was it just was it just this week Yeah Okay, what? it's part of that like resurrection line. That is like one of the interesting things coming out of it. Um, but the main books. Yeah, I I gotta say I am gonna check out all those new X Men books. I I feel like Marvel should be working towards that across their whole line, just relaunching everything with number ones and sort of getting back to like they're doing the blue and gold right but it's it's not going to be the same blue and gold that it was before but but that's a concept that that guys in our general age group get nostalgic for and will pick up because we like those things yeah and hopefully i like what's what's but again i'm not crazy about the creative talent you you don't have a cullen bunn and mark guggenheim tattoo on your back i'm afraid don't. Guys, I really, both of them. I'm really excited for the the new astonishing X Men though. I think, I yeah, and I say excited with like, <laughs> I'm very nervous. But Who's writing that book again? Isn't that um? It's, it's Charles Soule. Yeah, yeah, but it's like my dream team. Like as far as the cast, you love Old Man Logan so much. Well, no, it's more just like <laughs> I'm just messing with you. It's like Uncanny X Force Redux. I thought it was going to be an Uncanny X Force book actually. Yeah. God, that was a good time. Man, that's when, like, that was, that's my, like, golden age for X-Men stuff, which is weird because that's, like, so recent, but that and, like, Wolverine and the X-Men and... I loved that book. Those two books together, that was just, like, such a time to be reading X-Men comics. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But... but the, we have the DC3 cast. DC3 cast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, but, but I do think that sort of just looking at Marvel and DC sort of in a big picture sense, really shows you how different the two companies are right now uh-huh. and how there's just different priorities. Um, I don't have all that much to say about the issue of Action Comics proper because I don't think... I think that this whole crossover, but this issue in particular, is just like you're watching people move the pieces into position. Uh-huh. Yeah, There wasn't that much story in this issue necessarily. I thought it was very interesting... And not interesting from a narrative standpoint at all. In fact, quite the opposite, like very clunky and ham-fisted. But I thought it was interesting how starkly they ended this issue by telling you, look, this is exactly how it is going forward. Like this is literally, you know, everything counts, which is a, a phrase that comic fans have been uttering, you know, every time a comic company reboots, you know, whether it's, whether it's Marvel or DC, I know Marvel will say they've never had a reboot, but come on. You know? and, and to be fair, Dan DiDio, in that Convergence video, did say all stories matter, everything matters, everything counts. Yeah, yep, yep. That's right, he did. Um, um, I, yeah, I guess I don't have anything else to say about the issue itself. Um, I think it's interesting having gone through this arc, one one thing I want to say is it's really colored the way that I look at a lot of these other books we're reading in some surprising ways. That like what? Frank, 
Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll, we'll be talking about some. Okay. But, Zach, do you have anything else on this issue? Wait, do you mean color, like, the literal coloring? No, no, I mean... Okay, okay. I mean, I mean, like, events that are happening in other books, it makes me see them in a completely different light that I can't believe I didn't think about in this way, you okay. know? Do you think it's interesting that... Um... That they specifically call John Superboy now. Yeah, is that the first time they've done that? It so. is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I wonder if I wonder if I mean he's too young, but we got to have a Superboy on the team Titan Teen Titans, right? At some point. Maybe. Where's he Connor is, Kent? He, is, he did. Uh, he did. Um, Damien did tell him that he was too young to be a Teen Titan. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yep. I think actually you're gonna see at the end of this uh, another. You're gonna see. I, I really think they're gonna do a Young Justice book. Oh, that'd be great. And it's gonna be Tim Drake, Connor, Cassie, like that generation of Teen oh, Titans. Oh, I want that. You're gonna see that when 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 uh, when Rebirth moves out of like when Tim is out of Mister Oz's prison. Because think about it, none of those characters are represented right now. Oh, Brian. Brian, don't do this to me. <laughs> I just, I, real quick before we move on, I do feel like I've... We've talked about the last page a little bit, too. I but... feel like I've been really down on on Reborn just in this past, like, 30 minutes and in the whole time. Um, <laughs> it looked really good the whole time, I will say that. Doug Monkey and Patrick Gleason pair beautifully and are both great artists in their own respects. And I think maybe I went into this with too high of expectations. And some some of that is definitely on me. That's fair. Like, yeah. I wanted Superboy Prime. I didn't get him. I wanted to know who Dr. Oz is. And I said that on purpose. <laughs> Um, he's a cardiologist working at a columbia presbyterian and i just it just wasn't what i wanted it to be and i just want to acknowledge that some of that is probably bleeding over into my overall madness of it that's fair so the issue wraps up with with mr dr oz um looking at sort of uh this screen of superman and we get this it's it's interesting because he has uh he has two images of Superman in front of him. One is the new two Superman, and one is the sort of post-rebirth Superman. And then it just turns into just the one Superman. But he says, um, you know, for them and those connected to them, twin realities are not yet as one, yet questions remain. Is it over? Is there more? Considering what has been set in motion and the forces behind it, is it Superman who has the final say or him? And in the panel where it says, or him, they're showing Mars. So that that's another clear hint that Dr. Manhattan is going to have a bigger part in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're just two weeks away from the button. So uh, button. We'll, we'll start to get more of that soon. Actually, we're a month away, not two weeks. We're a month away from that. But um, I still don't think that the Watchmen thing is a good idea. But I think that they've been slow enough at integrating it where it doesn't feel as jarring as I thought it would feel. Yeah. 
And I, and I really wonder if there's more of a twist to it than just a literal confrontation with those characters. Yeah. You know? I'm still waiting for that. I mean, obviously we won't... DC's so good at keeping secrets, we won't know until it happens, but, um, you yeah. know, something more than just Batman pointing at uh, Dr. Manhattan and saying, how dare you? Yeah. Um, I, I just want to put out there that uh, DC announced this week that there's going to be two Batman-centric one-shots under the Dark Days title, which lead into the Greg Capullo-Scott Snyder event for the summer, named, known as Metal. And DC just announced today there's going to be a press conference next Saturday, Saturday, April's uh, 1st, or it's, maybe it's Sunday the 2nd, actually. One of those days at DC, at, sorry, at Dallas Fan Expo, they're going to live stream a panel that will talk about that event. I like when they do that kind of thing. Me too. Like- like when they did the rebirth titles. Yeah. Doesn't that make you think though that Dark Days is going to be the Batman Rebirth the Batman Reborn rather? Probably. Which is yeah, fine I mean, by me. Well it also think, like yeah. it sounds like it's also like so it sounded at first it seemed like Dark Days and, and Metal were going to be different projects, but now they're probably the same. I think Dark Days is going to be the reborn story and then Metal is a new story. Okay. Well, I just wondered because like Snyder is co-writing one of the Dark Days issues. He's recording both of them, but think oh, is it both? Okay. Think about how much Dark Days sounds like Reborn for a second, because it's Snyder and Tynan, the like two, essentially the Jurgens and Tomasi of Superman books, I mean of Batman books, and it's illustrated by three like classic Batman artists in Jim Lee, Andy Kubert. And um, JRJR, who's not as classic as the other two, but like, doesn't that sound like Gleason and Monkey kind of? Like yeah. to me, it's just it's it's the Batman version of this of this story. But we'll see. We'll huh. see. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that brings us to Batgirl number nine, written by Hope Larson, illustrated by Chris Wild Goose. Uh. I'm really enjoying this arc still. I think it's a lot of fun. What about you guys? I I love this book. It's it's really entertaining. I also like I I like how Hope Larson will introduce something and then not waste any time more than needed on it. Like for instance, there's a there's a sequence in the beginning of the book where Batgirl is trying to spot the person with the Faraday bag who just stole that stuff. And we see her confront the person and then nothing else. Like, we don't need to see her beat her up or handcuff her. It's over. We see it. It moved on to the next thing. So much can happen in this issue because Larson doesn't linger on anything longer than she needs to. Man, I love the bit. It's so funny, too. I love the bit at the coding, the kids coding thing. (laughs) and. It's like, are they listening to us? Yeah, <laughs> no, with a piece so, of paper. Yeah, are they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was really that was really cute and funny, and it it builds a little character for Babs, and it builds a little. It does a little world building of you know the world around her. It's, Absolutely, um, it was great. Yeah, just just I love the the pace that this book, you know it's really when i think of a like a street level hero you know 
th- this is hitting that same stride of like tone and pace that um like my favorite the Steph Brown Batgirl run uh by Brian Q Miller that's like one of my favorite comic runs okay and this is hitting like a very similar pace sense of humor um setting you know it's 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 doing a similar thing and i'm enjoying it you know just as much yeah i think it's i think it's been pretty great and chris wildgoose's art is awesome yes just, he is doing a great job yeah i love it i love the the scene of everybody walking around with their doggo doggo apps and yep. their little like, sticking up out of their phones Awesome. Also, really like the fact that the the memory room comes back, and this this is like a, a weird, cool little power that Barbara has now. Yeah, you know that she can like sacrifice her her photographic memory to like go into this hyper focus mode, mm-hmm. which I feel like we get kind of teased here, and I bet we'll end up playing like a really big. I, I would I could see it like playing a big role later in this story and maybe even like resulting in like a temporary like status quo change where she like loses her memory or something but it's just like and you know it, it feels like the fact that Larson has brought it up again it's it seems like something that could be could really like be built on for for some interesting things. I also like how this is a book about technology that doesn't feel like it's a 55-year-old man writing it. <laughs> like, the app, the Doggo app, is completely something that could happen. Yeah. And it's pretty fully fleshed out. Like, <laughs> they, I mean, they explain, like, how it works and where the money goes. And yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it was, it seems realistic. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, all three of us did not read Blue Beetle or Batman Beyond, but Vince was kind enough <laughs> to skim through them for us. So let's start with Batman Beyond, Vince. Anything stick out at you from yeah, your skim well, job? Um, Dan Jurgens begins the nar- narration. Neo Gotham, formerly Gotham City, in case anyone was... I would have never guessed that Neo Gotham means New Gotham. Yeah, I... Yeah. Um... And there, so, you know, Bruce is back, um, and he, he gets to the Batcave and he's all grumpy and because he's grumpy, Terry decides that he, uh, is going to make time for people in his life and family as well as being Batman because he thinks that Bruce spent too much of his life just being isolated. And so he, (laughs) he ignores the bat signal at the end of the issue well, Barbara Gordon is getting beat up, beaten up by a bunch of ninjas. <laughs> and he's just like, ah, what, you know, ah, how bad could it be? You know, like you're Batman. Literally, like people could be dying right now. <laughs> oh, and I, I, I know that that's just a, a like a, an end of the issue thing that's going to turn on a dime next issue. You know, like I understand that. It's just like <laughs> in the year 2017 i feel like everybody's got the concept of uh 
great power and responsibility down by now, right? <laughs> yep. Uh, but okay, so that was Batman Beyond. Oh, it, it's also drawn by Bernard Chang again this this uh, month, and man, his art was gorgeous this time around again. Like, I love the way he he draws a lot of really big panels and it just like big bold character work. And I wish he were drawing anything else. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's just, it's so good. Um, and then Blue Beetle, um, uh, Dr. Fate is confirmed to be Kent Nelson. So they take his helmet off. They call him Kent Nelson in this issue. So unless we missed it before, you know, that's the first time that we're absolutely sure that it's him. And Doc Fate goes up against, uh, Arion or Orion, Lord of Atlantis. Do you guys remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Character. Yeah. Uh, he goes up against that character for some reason that I don't, I don't know what he's doing in this book. Um, but, but yeah, that's, and, and it was drawn, it was drawn by Scott Collins and you can tell that this is like Scott's like fifth or sixth issue in a row. Cause it's getting rushed. <laughs> um, but yeah. I look at this though, like I just flip through it, and I think this is a book that I want, would like to like. Oh, just because I see all you know all the crazy stuff that's happening. Um, yeah, but but, you know, but then you get to the last page, and it says J.M. DeMatteis will be in the next issue. So yeah, as if that's a selling point. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Ted is just a dickhead too. Still like. He's still just a dick, and I don't, I don't want Ted to be a dick. I even saw that upcoming issue is gonna have Omac in it, which is just like, ooh, it's Zach Nip. Yeah, yeah, it that's... is. It really is. Like you've got a book that's a Blue Beetle, two Blue Beetles, Doctor Fate, and Omac, <laughs> and I still don't want to read it. <laughs> that's a shame. That's, ugh. Well, let's talk about something good. Let's talk about Deathstroke. Man, yeah. this issue was just all, <laughs> all what? the world. I just didn't know what happened. I actually found this one relatively easier to follow than some of them. Really? Yeah. Okay, so we need to talk about the ending, or towards the ending. <laughs> well, but, I mean, yes, aside from that part, like I felt like from a plot standpoint, it was pretty straightforward. But that twist at the end... For whatever reason, these last like three or four issues, Christopher Priest has been throwing these amazing curveballs at the end of issues. <laughs> like, like all of a sudden, Deathstroke is uh, is giving it to his son's fiance. Yeah. Oh, at the end of this issue, he goes blind. At the end of this issue, he becomes a completely new hero named Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so there's that. I want to talk about what happens directly before that, the page before that. Okay. So is this is I, this the guy that? I think this is the guy that Joe's in love with. That he killed or seemed to kill. So he's been keeping him alive this whole time, and now he just decides like, oh, now's the time to bring him in to be saved. Or is this something that happened previously? I think this is something that happened previously. Okay, I couldn't tell if this was a flashback. Because it almost seemed like there's a spot on a few pages earlier, the the red line page, 
uh-huh. where it seems like he's just been keeping him like on a ventilator and then he's like all right time to shock him back awake and take him to this doctor to really like bring him back to life well you know what i think the issue is and and i could be i could be completely wrong but we've seen images of this character falling mm-hmm. over over the last several like last dozen issues you know we we've seen that image over and over again of him falling so i think i think we're finally at the point where we're dealing with that but in the actual like chronological time of the comic it's not really as far apart as it seemed does that make sense I guess, but it seemed like that's something that happened a while back ago, and he's been kind of, like, privately struggling with that while all of his, like, relationship issues have also been going on. That could be the case, too. Yeah, I think you're right, Zach. I I, I guess I do have a... Tr- I, I just have trouble p- putting it all down yeah. chronologi- chronologically as if, like, okay, how fast are we thinking that this is supposed to be happening? Right. So, yeah, so, yeah I, I think that's yeah. my biggest confusion point right now is just trying to uh get the timeline squared away yeah i mean it clearly didn't just happen right but but i think also to me anyway the events seem like they've been going on for a lot longer than they probably have meant to be Mm -hmm. you know but but i yes i i agree with you yeah there is confusion in the general chronology like chronology of that situation but the last page is incredible <laughs> he's got a dog well they introduced that dog earlier in the issue well yeah but just like he's using it as a weapon essentially. Yeah. <laughs> his bandana is just on point <laughs> <laughs> he is on point he's oh man he's i want to see him like using his like stun rod as like a walking stick, you know. <laughs> and and he he called himself Twilight because he's blind in both eyes. Is that what's going? I on? believe so. Yes. He's he's Daredevil now. He is, and like, this all feels like such wonderful self parody, but it's also taking itself completely seriously. Yep. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But in a very smart way. It's just, oh man, it's great. It's great. It's it's almost like, perfect. Slate is just such a dog. Like <laughs> taking a taking a sixteen year old genius to a really expensive whatever this thing is. Yeah, and and dancing with her very smoothly. Yeah. yeah. Um, by the way, I love how they've been how Christopher Priest has included Power Girl in this. Yes. What what an interesting use of her character. Um she's like imme- she's like immediately charismatic, comes across as a genius and it's not like annoying or pretentious and and actually like like it's I feel like she is somebody that actually has like earned Slade's respect in an incredibly short amount of time, but in a very genuine way. She was not on my rebirth bingo card. <laughs> no. Like, I did not expect to see her popping up like this, but I'm so glad she has. Yeah, it's great. Also, apparently this is part four of this Twilight arc. So 
this whole yeah. thing has been called Twilight this whole time, and then... <laughs> yeah, I gotta admit, I don't pay attention to... I don't either. I don't yeah. either. <laughs> oh, we read a book. lot of books, folks. We do. <laughs> and let's move on to another one. Let's move on to Detective Comics, number 953, written by James Tennant IV, illustrated by Fernando Blanco and Christian Duce. Um, yeah. This is a bleak comic, guys. <laughs> like I have to say, well, there are dark days ahead. There are dark days ahead. <laughs> uh, I have to say, like for the most part, Detective Comics has dealt with some serious shit, but has done so with a certain amount of hopefulness built into it. And I've said this in the past about this book. This issue has almost no hope in it. Everybody's let down. Everybody's broken by the end of it, and uh, and then Rachel Gould walks in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's also gets like a nice um, callback to Batman and Robin Eternal, which I also feel like was a pretty bleak book for a good portion of it. Yes, um, with the the Fernando Blanco flashback pages too, um. This yeah, this, I, it's um, it's interesting to see such a strong callback to that book, would, because it wasn't that long ago, but it was also you know pre pre rebirth. Yep. But it also you know it is like requisite reading, I think, for this this run of de- detective comics. So, I mean, it's so important to what Tynan's doing here because it was the. Like, Batman Eternal had a lot about the Bat family, but it was about the Bat family kind of acting as agents of Batman. Batman and Robin Eternal was about the Bat family acting as agents of themselves, and that sort of continued throughout this run. But, you know, for how grim and hopeless this book is, I'm really enjoying it. Oh, yeah. Um... I just, I will I will seriously be upset if Clayface isn't better by the end of this. <laughs> he will be. I He's know. gonna make he is going to make a triumphant return and it'll be dark days no more. Keep telling me that, Vince. <laughs> I'll I'll call you every night and thank you. Tell, you tell you that before bed. Thank you. Um the art was really good. Um Blanco and Duce Deuce doing a a great job. I love the way they they draw these characters. Just very, very traditionally handsome, cape comic. Yeah. I don't know if I have too much more to say about it. I'm excited to see how Rachel Gould fits in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. That brings us over to Young Animal for Doom Patrol number five, written by Gerard Way, illustrated by Nick Darrington. Um, I feel like it's been a while since we've had a Doom Patrol issue, but I fell right back into this really easily. Lots there's of fun. a lot. There's a lot happening. There a is lot. a ton happening. It. Oh man, it goes for broke. <laughs> Uh, Lotion the cat like turns into a walking cat creature. 
Uh, and, then, and then just like that's it for that plot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like a one page thing. The the, uh, the evil Flex Casey. Mental- yeah, that was great. I said Flex Mentalo is dead, and then he's not. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thank God, because if he if there was risk of Flex Mentalo dying, you would have to call me every night and tell me that he's going to be okay. <laughs> that, that's a fair trade off. We we find out that. Torminox is Casey's father, meet her mother, and then they both die. <laughs> all in one all in one issue. Yep. And a lot of people die in this issue. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. Oh man, so much happens. And uh uh the little Niles Calder interlude is great. um yeah, just wheeling in on uh on Larry Trainer to recruit him for this Doom Patrol. Right. <laughs> I, almost, so, I almost said Suicide Squad. <laughs> oh, some God. Kind of, some kind of Suicide Squad. Yeah. We actually get so one of those lines. You're saying this week. we're some kind of Doom Patrol? Yeah. Um, yeah, so what I remind me, one of the caveats with Larry's like pact that he made with the negative people is that he like he lives out like a loop of, of like would be lives is that right and this i believe is so, so yes seeing one of them here i believe so okay you it just it, I, I really need to like go back and reread this series from the beginning me too because it's been a while there's just so much to read we get another bane coloring book page we do. it's no multo bane Oh, it's pretty good. But it's though. pretty great, yeah. <laughs> Especially because Trump quoted Bane in his uh, in his inaugural. So yeah, <laughs> democracy begins with you, the people. <laughs> I I was born in the darkness, people. Yeah. <laughs> I was molded by it. Believe me, it was hard to get out of the pit. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows how hard it was. Yeah. Look, nobody <laughs> respects the Batman more than me. Nobody. But believe me, I'm the only one that could break his damn back. <laughs> the only one. Alright, right, that brings us to the Flash number nineteen, written by Josh Williamson, illustrated by Jesus Marino. Uh and uh, and Carmine de Domenico at the end of the issue here. Um, the first half of this issue is is a fun Captain Boomerang and Flash story, but the last page of this issue does something really fucking weird. <laughs> um, right. And I feel like unless you guys have any objections, I want to skip right to there. Yeah. Yeah. So the last page of this issue. Really, the last two pages, but the last page in particular brings about the reverse flash, not Daniel West, but Ebard Thawne. And, but it's not just any reverse flash, it's the one from Flashpoint. Yep. I remember the Batman, Thomas Wayne, he killed me in the Flashpoint. I should teach his son a lesson. I mean, that's awesome (laughs) it's so great yes and i don't think any of us are particularly flashpoint enthusiasts no but 
it's just again connecting all the pieces together. Well, here's the thing. This is this is one of the instances where um I'm reading this completely differently because of Superman Reborn. Right. Like now now rather than this being a curious plot point that might quickly be done away with, what if this is a step towards sewing up the Flash continuity, you know? Yeah. I mean this could th- yeah. We saw the by the way, we saw the Flash a few times in comics today where he would show up just for a panel. Did you notice that? It happened in Hal Jordan too. Yeah, as kind of like just a prelude to what I assume is the button or some greater bu- wait, wait, wait. prelude to what? The button. Okay. <laughs> or some sort of greater plot point in the DCU, you know, but but it's interesting that he's been given a panel in a few of these comics. I also think that DC is starting to Oh, sorry. Time out here. Very important bit from that Tomasi and uh, Jurgens interview. The interviewer was like, so Mrs. Pitalik is the same across all of uh, these pop culture, you know, things, whether movies, TV, books. Is, is this a sly way at returning to the idea of hypertime? And it's not really denied. Mm. They never say, like, yes, it's hypertime. But they kind of like, well, no, not really. <laughs> but so might be. I mean, I, it. I don't think that him being the same across all. I think that. I mean, that's what hypertime was, though. Hypertime was this idea of like, of you know, certain threads being stretched across all different realities. No, I understand that. I'm, I'm saying, I think between that interview and what Rich has said, I think that's being overplayed a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think that that's actually what's going on, but, but yeah. Uh, so what? So Zach, what do you think of this uh, Flashpoint reveal? Um, I mean, I'm all for it. I'm trying to like I'm refreshing myself right now because I didn't read a lot of the New Fifty Two Flash book. Right. Um, what all happened with this with the Airboard Thon Flash Reverse Flash? Um, because I, you know, I remember. I don't think we anything the, happened. No, he was in. He was in the Robert Venditti run. Of course, he was. Yeah, which <laughs> is what I'm. I'm like flipping through right now because I think we've known that he's been in Iron Heights for all of the Rebirth run, right? Yes, we have. We see that. Isn't it in the Jeff Johns written Rebirth issue? Maybe. I think so. Yeah. I know we've seen it. Like it's been mentioned a few times, and so yeah, it looks like he was like he was in an arc of the Venditti run, and he got put in prison um but yeah it'll be interesting to see like how did he remember is that like a result of some reborn-esque shenanigans or has he always known you know yeah yeah i don't know and do we know for a fact oh i forget it that's a redundant question at this point. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes. And I, I, it's interesting that Flashpoint Eobard is the catalyst for the button. Because it says to be continued in Batman 21. Mm-hmm. So yep. it's interesting that that's connecting as well. 
Yeah. Well, I think I think it almost has to because that's the major story everyone thinks about when they think about Batman and the Flash teaming up. Yeah, it and... almost like the button's gonna be like a, a... what was that? The button. Okay. <laughs> will be like a Flashpoint sequel almost sort of. Yeah. You know, we've got Thomas Wayne. They're probably gonna touch on that letter at ad nauseum. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, reverse flash. Well, it's interesting. I, I was thinking about this: how both Flashpoint and DC Universe Rebirth number one. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The, the last issue of Flashpoint where the New Fifty Two is established, the first scene in the New Fifty Two is Barry and Bruce, and isn't wasn't the last scene in DC Universe Rebirth Barry and Bruce? Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was at least Bruce. I can't remember if Barry was there. I think he was. Or yeah, Barry and Bruce were together at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe it was actually in the Flash rebirth issue. That did happen for oh, sure. That might be, yeah. Okay. That definitely happened. But regardless, I, th- those are characters I wouldn't have put together necessarily before. And now they have a very important role. Oh man. Yeah, you know, how how savvy has DC been at like Basically every other week or at least once a month, they have a comic that's like a big news story because it's do- like, just think we we're just coming off of the Superman reborn, reborn news cycle. And we're going to be talking about the button. The bo- Wait, what? That's like, we're going to be talking about the button mm-hmm. in just a couple of weeks. And that's going to dominate like the newsaramas and the multiversities yeah. of the world. And for a whole month. Yeah. And then, and then right after that, it's going to be um, the Lazarus contract or whatever it's yep. called. Mm-hmm. And Dark Days. And then, it, yeah, this is just yep. going to be a wild ride. It's so a really smart, smart model. So yeah. smart. Oh, man. You know, Hypertime, I was just thinking about Hypertime. That actually explains Tom King's Batman better than anything <laughs> we've come up with. It explains all the weird Adam Westian shit. Oh, maybe you're on to something. <laughs> uh, that brings us to Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, number 17, um, which spoils the ending on the cover. Thanks a lot. How, what, did, what did this Bre- issue do for you, Brian? This is pandering to Brett. This is bait. Okay. It, this is Brian bait. bait. In many ways, it is Brian bait. Uh, Hal being like, you the best. <laughs> Love that. Love that. St. Walker being a major part of it. Love that. Didn't love the ending so much. No? Because I feel like it's just... It's one of two things. Either it's removing Kyle as the White Lantern permanently, which I don't like because I like that he's been set apart as something special, or it's going to clearly just be... It's he... Green Lantern Reborn. It's it's the super. It's the Green Lantern version of what happened to Superman. This is what we're careening towards. I guess it could be, actually. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, now that we've read that, I'm reading every story differently. And, like, you know, you literally see Barry Allen and Mr. Oz because because this is taking steps towards that. This is the first time we've seen this costume in, what, like, going on 15 years? Going on 20 years. Has it really been that long? He was out of this costume long before Rebirth. And yeah. I, I, don't, I don't mean like I 2016 no, Yeah, Rebirth. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I just couldn't remember, like, He how. was Ion for a while, remember? 
Yeah, yeah, but I couldn't remember like how early that was. I want to I mean, say it could have been he was de- he had this costume into like the early two thousands, right? I don't know. I think uh, no, maybe. maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Yeah, because like he Ion, like the first Ion, not the like not when yeah. they the face. You know what I'm talking about? That costume that like hit his face. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I'm glad Saint Walker didn't die. I got scared there for a second. <laughs> Man, I had totally forgotten that Ganthet and Sade created the Blue Lanterns. Yeah, so did I. I actually was going to talk to you about that, Zach, because I feel like you're the keeper of Lantern mythology among us. Yeah, I just, like, totally forgot about that. And it made me smile to remember that, because it reminded me of when Green Lantern was good. (laughs) Cute, cute, wolf owl. (laughs) (laughs) Um, See, as bad as I thought the last issue was, which I, one was the last issue? The Guy Gardner the, fight the one, one right? where a guy just punches the bloody shit out of uh, a killer. <laughs> literally, like, yeah. literally, literally, <laughs> just disgusting. That like I really enjoyed this issue, and I enjoyed it because it opened up so many of these possibilities. Like, like Mogo being resurrected, right? Was it Mogo already? He's, he's he's been he's been back. Oh, has he? I thought I thought really. When did yeah. that happen? It happened like it happened a long time ago. But the other like a couple weeks ago, how like lands on him and is like, "What's up, uh, buddy?" Uh, uh, shows you how much I'm paying attention. Yeah. I did, they just showed him in this comic, and I thought he was like, maybe maybe it was showing his resurrection no, too. Mogo is the back. home of the core now. There is no Oa anymore. Oh, that's right. So that's Sorry, what they're showing it. I'm that's a right. dickhead. Hey, try, please remove this from the podcast. Hey, you're our dickhead. No, Don't worry. No, I'm kidding. No, but then, like, all the various colored rings flying off and finding new... Like, think of the possibilities that that opens up. Yeah. All those all those rings have to find a new replacement. And then... We'll never... that No, we'll never see that happen. That's happened so many times <laughs> over the past 10 years. A ring has flown off to find a new bearer and never come back. <laughs> I'm not counting on that. I I've been waiting know. 10 I'm years to find out what happened to Hal's blue ring that he lost at the end of Agent Orange or whatever. <laughs> no, not gonna happen. Happen. it's not going to happen. <laughs> I defer to you. You're a, you're, yeah, you're a bigger lantern head than I am, I guess. See, I, I guess my, I, I don't want to say it was issue with this because I, I did enjoy this issue a lot. I just think I am completely, it is hard for me to, read Kyle comics where Kyle's not doing exactly what I want him to do. <laughs> so I love the character so much. And I feel like for so many years he was just being mistreated. And I feel like once he's been the white lantern, there's been this, uh, this sort of respect for Kyle that, and like how perfectly articulates it in this issue. And I just, I feel like bringing him to, back to being just a green lantern is sort of taking away what makes him special. Hmm. He still has the coolest Green Lantern costume, though. He does. And, uh... Yeah. He's still the best. Love yeah. me some Kyle. It is, it is kind of weird that they're all back to just being Green Lanterns again, because so much of the... The previous era was, like, separating them into all the things that, like, made them different. Like, Guy being a Red Lantern for a while. Guy having that sweet mustache. 
Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> I'm telling you, they're putting them. They're putting everybody back to. Everyone's getting Superman. But I. But my question is, I don't. It's important for Superman to be Superman, right? Superman. Is it important for Guy Gardner to be Superman? It is if they're doing this completely across the board with no, uh, with no um, ambiguity. You okay, know? that's fair. Yeah. Because if, because if you don't, I mean, people will ask that question then whether whether it's really needed or not. You know. Do you guys remember Omega Man? Yeah. That was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> oh. All right. That brings us to the Hellblazer number eight. And uh, Vince and I are going to have a little debate here. So Vince claims that the art is the worst part of this issue. <laughs> and I claim that the words are the worst part of this issue. How well, about we just agree we all lose? Yes, if I'd have read any of the words, maybe I could agree with you. But okay. uh... there's so many words. <laughs> like my biggest problem with this comic, beyond everything else, is that Constantine should be a fun character, and this is the least fun book that's ever been a comic. <laughs> like, just nothing fun happens at all in it. It's obnoxious. Everybody's talking way too much. The narration goes on forever. There's all this bullshit magic nobody cares about. Like, the Hellblazer comic ran for how long? Uh, 300, I think. Yeah, and every single issue was was less boring than this. I don't understand why they can't get this character right. How all of a sudden, making him not age in real time made him that interesting. What if Hellblazer gets reborn? Oh, man. (laughs) (sighs) This is one of the this is one of the few books that feels like it's got nothing to do with any of that and anything else. What if it did and it just picked up at issue? What if it what if we get a Hellblazer 301? Well, I hope that the reborning part of this is just constantly being like, I got boring, and then he shoots himself in the head and then wakes up as like an old man who's bisexual and smoking. <laughs> oh, boy. I hate this comic. Yeah, it's it's bad. The art is, the art is really obnoxious. I mean... The words may be obnoxious. I don't know. I didn't read them, but the art is obnoxious. Everything is like a weird close-up on people's faces because Philip Tan didn't want to draw anything else, I guess. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of that going on. Um, the The first issue of his stint on this at least had some nice background work, I thought. And this issue feels like it goes out of its way to avoid having to do as much background work as possible. You know, I'm it's night and day different. I mean, go through this comic and see how many times the background is just not there or faded out purposely blurry. I mean, there are pages where 
the background is purposely blurry for no reason, just so that it didn't have to be drawn with any detail. Um, and and the close-ups on these characters' faces just look just weird and wrong too. Like everybody looks lumpy, and I don't know. This is if I were. I mean, I don't know how Simon Oliver feels, but if I were him, I'd be like. I, what are we doing here? You know, maybe I, he's I, writing so many words to cover up the art. Maybe, maybe there is one panel in particular where the art is ridiculous. It's towards the end of the issue. It's when Constantine's doing his magic thing in the library, wherever that is, mm-hmm. and both characters in the background look like they're doing the thriller dance. <laughs> well, it, it is thriller night. Yeah, I mean it is. I mean they're fighting for their lives inside a. You know, <laughs> inside a shitty, shitty comic. <laughs> we sang, take a drink. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right, let's get off this shit comic. Uh, Mother Panic number five, written by Jody Hauser, illustrated by Sean Crystal. Uh, so I've, man, I've, 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 I've blazed through this comic and I don't remember anything that happened. Hmm. I, I've I've decided what I think about this comic. What's that? I think it's a good comic. I enjoyed this issue. I like Sean Crystal's art. I don't like Sean Crystal's art for this comic. And I'll tell you why. I think you've got a solid story here. I think the stuff with with Mother Panic and her mother. Grandma um, Panic. Yeah. <laughs> Nana Panic? Wow. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's yep. go with Nana Panic. <laughs> God. Okay. Um, I think that panic? stuff... Go that ahead. stuff is, like, weirdly affecting. And there's a moment where she decides that she's, you know, not going to use a gun. That's very affecting. And yet, Sean Crystal's art has this intentional comedic element to it that I didn't think fit there. Like there's a moment where she bends this gun and like tosses it and her like tossing it away almost, almost looked comedic, but I don't think it was really meant to. Um, and, and so I, I really like his art, but I don't think it quite matches up with the tone that I'm interpreting this as. And I like, I I don't want to denigrate anyone involved because I, I, I think they're all talented people, but I just think like if this comic had more straightforward art or like what Tommy Lee Edwards was doing, you know, seemed perfect, you know? Um, Cause I think you have something solid here, but I think the tone just didn't match up with, with what could be a really interesting and layered and dramatic sort of new Batman character. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I, I think that this is just, you know, unfortunately, this is also part of a publishing line with Cave Carson, Shade the Changing Girl, and Doom Patrol. And mm-hmm. so it's it's not going to live up to those standards. Uh, at least not for me. And uh, I I think that there's 
this is the book that every month I'm like, before next month, I have to go back and reread the whole thing. And I never get a chance to do that. And I think it would benefit if I wasn't reading 20 other books a week. <laughs> yeah. Zach, what say you? Yeah. Um, I'm kind of torn because I really like Sean Crystal's art, but I can also like ag- agree with what Vince is saying. I think um, as an artist, I like Sean Crystal better than Tommy Lee Edwards, but I don't know if it works for this book. Yeah, I think a lot of it too is just like the costume, like those big gloves. They're really funny. <laughs> like when <laughs> yeah, she's that's, that's bending true, the yeah. bending the 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 rifle, it looks like like a Looney Tunes moment it, or it something. Does. Yep, that's fair. Yeah. Yep. So I totally get what you're saying. And when she's walking through the door, I don't know something about that to like go back down. Yep. From the roof, <laughs> yeah. It uh, it's very cartoony. Um, this I I feel like I really liked the first arc of this book, but these last two issues have been just kind of <sighs> off-putting is not the right word, but just kind of strange. That's fair. All right, yeah. that brings us to Zach's favorite book, Suicide Squad, number 14, oh. written by Rob Williams, illustrated by John Romita Jr. and Eddie Barrows. And, uh, yeah. Some stuff happens. I still I, like John Romita's art. I think that's all I have to say. I think this is a weird choice that they're killing so many of these characters. I'm putting killing in quotes. You can't see them, see it, but I'm doing that. But I feel like Hack is really dead. And she was one of the few characters I'd, I liked in this book. And she was the only new character in the book. And that's a little odd. Yeah, I don't know. They brought Amanda Waller back, though. Can you believe that? I can't believe it. I thought she, she was gone forever. And she makes a, a Christ reference. <laughs> Who saw that going coming, right? <laughs> Comics being being uh, referential to uh, resurrection narratives? What? Oh, man. I think, I think Jesus definitely would have approved of her choice of weaponry. <laughs> uh, think of that the next time you vote, Zach. To call back to my favorite wild dog joke of all time from last week's Cave Carson. <laughs> oh, that was good. Yeah. Good callback. Thank you. Um, Eddie Barrow's art looks really good in the backup, too. Oh, my goodness. That guy can draw anything. He's gotten so good. I remember when he wasn't that good. I think it wasn't. That's unfair. I remember before he was as distinguished as he is now. Yeah. You mean like pre-New 52 Superman stuff? Yes. I feel like his coming out party was Martian Manhunter. That For was sure. so good. And then after that, he's just been he's been on fire. Uh, 
Anything else to add? I didn't read it. You didn't read it? Wow. No. The rare Ostrowski Wilkerson. I'm done. I'm done with it. I, I, I'm done with the Suicide Squad. I'm done. They're so done. I, I don't. Oh man, I can't even look at the cover and think about even turning to the first page. You don't look at that cover and just think they're the Patsies. There's some I kind th- of Suicide I, Squad. I look at that cover and I think, is this the first issue of the Ramita run? Is this the second issue of the Ramita run? Is this the third? Does it matter? Is any of this new or interesting? It commits Why? one of my biggest cover faux pas where it, where it features a lot of disembodied heads. Yeah. Yeah. You must have hated this overage then. <laughs> well, that was different because they at least had like frames. That's true. Most of the time. That was like a this is that was like a roster thing. This is just like, hey, let's put some heads on on the cover for no reason. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to a book that hopefully Vince did read. Teen Titans number 6. <laughs> Written by Ben Percy, illustrated by Koi Pham. We get the first non-DC Universe Rebirth appearance of uh, Aqualad, Jackson Hyde. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you guys think of the issue? This book is uh, its really growing on me. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think... I think this was a nice little uh, sort of breather of an issue, you know, not a whole heck of a lot going on. Just kind of spending time with the characters, letting them bounce off one another a little bit, Um, bringing Aqualad back. And then, you know, all of a sudden right at the end, the action sort of starts. And uh, that's kind of what I want from these characters. I want these characters to bounce off of one another a little bit. You know, they're, they're like, these young, youthful, fun characters that should grow together, I think. And I like that they're spending a little bit of time to do that. Um, I think it's weird that last month um, Beast Boy was horny, and now this month he's talking about giving everybody mouth orgasms with his food. I think he's a little too horny for me. Um, Gar horny, Vincey. <laughs> Uh, what would it take for me to never hear you say that again, Brian? <laughs> um, uh, and I think I think we're going to need a bigger boat is not necessarily a reference that Beast Boy would make. <laughs> um, but who knows? Maybe he's seen Jaws. Um, uh, I did think it was interesting that somebody at DC got their wires crossed. And put the rubbery pizza in Teen Titans instead of Titans. I was going to bring up the rubbery pizza. (laughs) Oh, you. You guys. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Uh, I'm Um, looking forward. Damien is good in it. Oh. Go ahead. Go go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say Damien's good in every book he's in. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, they're doing a real good job with him. Yeah. I'm excited to see Aqualad as part of the team. And I hope it's not a 45-issue integration process. Because <laughs> well, that is one gonna, thing that DC... They're not going to trust him at first. No, of course. Now trust me, they're going to have to be convinced of trusting him. They're going to start to trust him, but something's going to stop them from trusting him in the future. And, uh, yeah. Well, we've only waited six years to get Jackson Hyde. <laughs> exactly. In anything <laughs> since he was introduced, so... So what's another six is what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> All right. That brings us to our final book of the week, Wonder Woman number 19, written by Greg Rocca, illustrated by Liam Sharp. Um, Liam Sharp does some gorgeous stuff here. That page of Ferdinand hold, uh, like hugging Diana in the cell is just a gorgeous, gorgeous page. This is a hell of an issue. It was. Man, it's just all coming together so well. We We need to mention that last week... Vince coined the term deboot. <laughs> and then one of our commenters on Multiversity Comics said that Wonder Woman is a full on deboot comic, and they are correct. They're they're absolutely correct. And I think what I, um I think how I responded to that guy was like, Oh my god, you're right. And it made me realize something that should have been obvious to me all along. And again, this ties into Superman Reborn. This was Superman Reborn before Superman Reborn even happened. <laughs> all of this stuff that's go I mean, really, all this stuff that's going on, of course, at the end, the end game is going to be sewing up Diana's pre-Flashpoint, post-Flashpoint continuities. And like how, like, obviously we knew, we talk about it every week. So we know that that's the case. Or every other week, I mean. <laughs> So we know that that's what this book is doing. But somehow, I don't know if it was because it was Rucka writing it or if, or if it's because it's got such a clear plan laid out and it feels really different from all these other DC books. I just didn't make the connection that she's going to undergo the exact same thing that all of these other characters are, you know? But we've literally been dealing with this since the rebirth issue. That that the ultimate endgame of this is going to be sewing up all of that continuity. Uh, the commenter's name was Robert, by the way, and he commented uh, on your response to it, Vince. That it's worth noting that in Azarella's Wonder Woman, when she went into God mode, she glowed blue. Yeah, I think that would be a little bit forward thinking. I think so too, but it, it is a fun thing to point out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I would never have thought of that. Yeah. All right. Do we have anything else to say? No, I'm just thinking we've got... This book's been solicited out through 25 now, right? And that sounds like kind of the the wrap up issue, really. It might be, yes. Wonder. I wonder if we'll get more Rucka after that. Yeah, I wonder. I like. I hope so, but at the same time, I would totally be in for you know. I would understand if this is just like 
a, a finite story. He does what he set out to do and, and drops the mic. I wonder I, if that would be the end of Rucka at DC again for a while. Oh, man. What if they gave him a question book? Uh, Renee Montoya was in Detective Comics this week. I mean, as long as as long as the the relationship is repaired between Rucka and DC, like that's if he doesn't write another book for a while, you know, he's doing well enough in creator owned that, you know, all I wish him all the luck in the world. You know, I just want to know that he came back and everything went well for him this time around. You know? Yeah, agreed. I don't. I don't. I don't want like that trust to be betrayed again after he you know came back because he didn't have to he 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 doesn't need dc you know they needed him at the time and yeah it's interesting yeah. when it, i think we sometimes forget Rucka's first gig back was actually that Convergence question story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe he would do a question book. Maybe he wants to do something new that he hasn't done, yeah. touched already at DC. Yeah. Maybe he wants to be one-fourth of the year-long 50 Sue book. <laughs> That that would be enough to drive him away forever. I feel like every single title of that would have to be the worst pun you can possibly imagine. <laughs> yeah. And it would they would all be like I would say a solid quarter of them would be like law based ones about suing somebody. Like fifty sue, like you can't uh you know like fifty you can't, sue You can't fire me, I'll fifty sue you. Yeah. There'd be and there'd be a. Uh... Uh, 50 Sue got married. Yep, absolutely. There'd and there'd be, uh... there'd be like a 50 Cent reference. Oh, yeah. 50, yeah. In the club, of course. Right, yeah. Um, There'd be... Uh... There'd be a boy named 50 Sue. Yep, there'd be a boy named 50 Sue. There'd be a... Uh... 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 50, 50 Suzanne Summers. 50 Shades of Sue. <laughs> oh, 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 there'd be a, uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't. That's weird. Don't. Uh, but, but uh, oh boy, I, um, I should not have said that. Uh, there'd, be a, there'd be 50 ways to leave your, your Sue. <laughs> I guess the fifty Suez Canal. <laughs> uh, uh, boy, this isn't as this isn't as fruitful as last week. I was gonna say last week they were they were, they were flying off our tongues today, and not quite so much. But Hor- Hor- Horton, here's a fifty Sue. <laughs> oh man. It's weird how the edibles just kick in at right about this time. 
I feel like once once we've been talking for thir- for an hour and thirty minutes, our our brains just start releasing like weird chemicals into <laughs> into our system just to just to get us to stop talking. So let's do that. You can find the three of us on Twitter. I'm at Brian Dzenap. I'm at VJ underscore O S T R O W S K I. And I'm at SirFox89. You can find all of us at multiversitycomics.com, where you can go for all your comics, news, reviews, commentary, and more. Thanks for listening. Next week, we are going to be covering, in part, uh, <laughs> the DC Hanna-Barbera crossovers. And we're going to be going through our top 10 books of Rebirth as of now. Oh, yeah. So uh, prepare your list, listeners. We want to hear all about them. <laughs> <laughs>